Hello, and welcome to another episode of This is the Voice of the Prophet. Last week, the question was asked to the bride and body of Christ, are you still a virgin bride? That question brought us to the beginning of this discussion on the importance and purpose concerning covenant. The entire objective of communion is to remind us of the covenant that we now have with the Father, which he so willingly provided on our behalf through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. God provided his lamb so that once again, we could walk in this everlasting oath with him. However, it's up to us, each of us individually to accept and keep this oath. This is kept with the Father, not by pleading the blood of Jesus, which is totally not scriptural, but by submitting to our Father as the one who stipulated the commands and the covenant from the beginning. As stated in last week's episode, in covenant agreement, there's always a greater and a lesser. The greater who makes the stipulations and the lesser who submits to it. Unfortunately, they are those, although saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, who will never understand the full concept of what our Father has provided for them. For some, it's a matter that they just don't believe in this view of covenant as being explained in this podcast. Many feel that what they see and accept as covenant living on such a non-intimate base level is more than enough for them. Basically, they're satisfied with where they are and what they have as Christians. In actuality, for many, they are not willing to put forth the effort in prayer and worship in the presence of God to build such a relationship with him that would allow for them to know and understand more of him and the covenant that he has given us. It's easier for many to stay where they are satisfied as long as they think they won't end up in hell. They're content to let their pastors do all the heavy lifting. In other words, to paraphrase the words of Natasha Sistrunk Robinson, a black woman who is an author, Naval Academy graduate with so many attributes and credits that it would take the entire time of this podcast to list them all. They sit in church every Sunday with a pastor who they see as a priest of the Old Testament. As we all know, in the Old Testament, only the priest could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, which represented the presence of God. In today's churches, many are willing to sit, listen, and wait for the pastor to be their priest, allowing only him to enter into God's presence and then come and tell them what God is saying. I promise you, that is not walking in covenant with the Father. It's not remembering or honoring the covenant that Christ gave his blood for. In fact, just the opposite. Again, I must say that much of this is because of teachings and leaderships that are not bringing us into the full knowledge and presence of God. The second reason that many will never understand the covenant is also a matter that was discussed last week. As God said in the 25th division of Psalms at the 14th verse, in the Amplified Version, it reads, The secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord have they who fear, revere, and worship him. And he will show them his covenant and reveal to them its deep inner meaning. 
There's an inner meaning of covenant that God wants to reveal to us. We can't be satisfied with just the base level assumption of a Sunday morning, once a month communion being all that there is to covenant. Without that secret of sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord, one will never understand the fullness of the oath he has given us. It's only when we have a true fear and worship of him will God begin to reveal the deep inner meaning that he truly wants us to receive. Does that mean that we have to be scared of God? Just what does fearing God truly mean? I was in a conversation last week with a friend of mine discussing this very matter. During our talk, I explained fearing God with this analogy. I feared my first husband because I knew that he might hit me if I displeased or rubbed him the wrong way. Saying something wrong or offensive to him would bring about his wrath. So that terror of him held me in an awareness that continually kept me with the presence of mind never to cross him or make him angry. Of course, since I never truly knew what would make him angry or what would set him off, it was always a matter of walking on eggs. Basically, not only was I terrified of him, but in spite of the good things he did, I never felt the love that he professed he had for me. However, with my second husband, the fear that I had with him was not one that was of him, but rather in honor to him. It was not one where I feared displeasing him, but rather the desire of never disappointing him. The love, respect, and regard that I had for my second husband kept me with such an esteem for him that I chose to try not doing anything that might bring dishonor or discredit to the man I loved. This is the fear that I have for the father, not afraid, scared, or terrified of him, but having a respect, regard, intimacy, devotion, and adoration for him that keeps me from ever wanting to bring disrespect or disgrace to his name. With those who understand this type of fear of God, their fear is one such that brings the highest admiration, adoration, and appreciation to their relationship with the Father. The thing about fearing God is this, as long as I fear him, I don't have to be afraid of or fear anything else. Fearing and reverencing God through covenant takes away the fear of black sickness and disease and even attacks from the enemy. Listen well, my sisters and brothers, I didn't say that walking in covenant with God would do away with those things, although sometimes it will. However, when one walks in complete covenant with the Father, even if or when those things come upon you, they will not come with a spirit of fear. Even in your times of lack, need, sickness, or disease, God will give the peace and satisfaction of his covenant agreement that he will do whatever is necessary to provide whatever is needed during those times. Is this type of covenant that literally brings one from merely loving God to being in love with him, which is how 
every bride should feel toward her husband. It's this type of fear of God that allows the Father to show those who reverence him his covenant and reveal to them its deep inner meaning. As stated earlier, when covenants were entered into, it was always the greater, the stronger party who made the decrees. He would say, in a sense, you will do this, this, and this. The lesser or weaker party would simply say, yes, yes, and yes. There was no bargaining, negotiations, or disputes. The one who set the terms was the stronger of the two, and the weaker of the two simply agreed and kept those terms whether he liked them or not. Obviously, our father is not merely just the stronger. He is the almighty. He has set the terms of the covenant, and it is our part and duty in this covenant to say yes, yes, and yes to each and every stipulation that he has set forth. It is for our part to submit and obey him without dispute, debate, or disagreement in any way. When we keep our part of the covenant is with the realization that this is not just a bargain or contract with God, but a blood oath. Our father continues to keep his covenant with us through his provision of our salvation, as well as his blessings and protection. Also, we must remember that covenant is generational. It covers us, our children, grandchildren, and descendants that we have yet to see. This is why we must teach our children and future generations not only the importance of our covenant through the blood of Christ, but also that there is a covenant through his blood. We must teach future generations all that it means so that they will not walk away from it and go away that God never intended. Again, as stated earlier, covenants cut between a greater and lesser was always with the lesser having to do and meet certain criteria. He could only say yes, yes, and yes. He would have to walk through the blood and provide whatever was required of him, including money, if that was part of the demand. Rather than our covenant with God being one that requires a yes, yes, and yes to merely money and sacrifice, our new covenant with the Father, which has been signed in the blood of the Lamb, is simply one that requires a yes of faith. When we say yes, yes, and yes, it's our faith in the Father that our covenant with him has been ratified. It's our faith in him knowing that he has done it all through the provision of the Lamb, his Son, our Savior. If we who are believers in Christ would understand the covenant with the Father as we should, most of us would live our lives under completely different circumstances because covenant with God is totally life-changing. It is not a bondage, but in actuality, a freedom of sorts. It literally describes our Father's relationship to us and is an ultimate commitment. It strengthens the faith of the believer in knowing that our Father has committed to our well-being in every way. 
He has given us authority and power over all the power of the enemy. Through our covenant with the Father, our needs will be provided for and we will never see lack. Our covenant with God is one of love and not a bunch of strict rules and regulations to be tiptoed around. Remember, covenant provides for us, our children, grandchildren, and all future generations, and they will receive the same provisions as long as they keep and walk according to the covenant that our Father has decreed. The promise God made to David was that there would always be someone from his line to sit on the throne as long as they obeyed. Covenant not only provides for our own personal health and well-being, but for our children and our children's children. It provides for our and their peace, joy, and prosperity. Because of the covenant that we have with the Father, even racial discrimination will be defeated, but it must be because we are on one accord and in agreement with the Father. We must remember all that covenant entails because our enemies will be his enemies when we walk in complete covenant with him. When we emulate the Last Supper, the taking of the body and blood of Christ, we do so remembering the significance of not only what he did, but why. It was to bring us back into the loving oneness with the Father that he ordained from the beginning. It was to provide all of the amenities along with the arrangements stipulated in covenant agreement with God. The importance and significance of the virgin bride and why we, as the bride of Christ, should not remain virgin brides cannot be emphasized enough. If we see covenant living with the father as a bride to her husband, our covenant with God will become so much clearer to us. Remember, under the law, in the Old Testament, and even in some places today, love was not and still is not a requirement in marriage. Brides were given in order to cut a covenant, not to bring love. However, when a husband loved his wife and treated her with the love, honor, and respect that was due her, inevitably she fell in love with him. In Ephesians 5, as well as Colossians 3, the command is given to the husband to love his wife. The wife is never told to love her husband because with the love that should be shown to the wife, it will cause her to fall in love with the husband. So it is with God and the church. What did the Lord say to Israel, his bride, through Jeremiah the prophet? In Jeremiah 31, 3, it reads, the Lord had appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. It was the love of the husband to the wife that drew her to him and caused her not just to love him, but actually fall in love with him. So it is with us as God draws us to him with love and kindness. God has never demanded that we come to him already loving him because in actuality, it's his love that he extends to us that draws us to him and allows for us to fall in love with him. 
As David lay dying, they found the pure, untouched virgin, Abishag. The King James Version reads, And the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. She cherished him with her heart. One of the synonyms for the word cherish is to adore him, to dote on him. She ministered to him. The Hebrew lexicon defines that word minister as to be a worshiper or servant to him. These are all words and ways that we can define our relationship to the Father when we are in services. But with all of her adoration and worship, Abishag remained a virgin because the word says that the king knew her not. Remember, when Jesus said in Matthew 7, 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who did Jesus say this to? He said it to the people he was speaking to in the previous verses. In Matthew 7, 21 through 22, it reads, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus will be saying to them that they will be seen like Abishag, what she was meant to accomplish in her relationship with David was never achieved. Although she cherished, adored, and worshiped him, she remained untouched by him. There was never a consummation. A covenant was never ratified. Blood was never shed, and Abishag remained a virgin. Unfortunately, those who never become one with the Father are the very ones who truly believe that they are serving God like so many who are in church and in the body of Christ today in spite of the monthly, weekly, or even daily communion that many partake of. If there's no intimacy in the relationship that one has with the Father, then he will say, I never knew you. A host of bread and a swallow of juice is merely an exhibition, a show or display for oneself and others. If it goes no further than that, then it's to them that Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. What he will be saying is that there was never an intimacy with him. There was never a consummation of the covenant, covenant agreement. There was never the intimacy with the father as he had always intended. And one of the things that I have said for years is that if there's no intimacy, there's no pregnancy. God does not use artificial insemination. That may sound crude or even vulgar and blasphemous to some, but listen to what our father is saying. We cannot deliver or give birth to ministries that God never placed in us. There are far, far too many who are saying that they are giving birth to ministries that literally God had nothing to do with. How can someone bring forth the thing from God when they've never spent intimate time with him? As I used to say many years back, as they would say on the old reality shows, 
when they would reveal through DNA testing whether the man was actually the father of the child or not. They would open the envelope and read it and they would say, so-and-so, you are not the father. And so it will be with many who are saying that they're giving birth through ministries that God has placed within them. In that day, when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. He will be saying, I am not the father. Selah, pause and think about that a while. We all need to ask ourselves if we're virgin brides to the father. With all of our adoration, love, and worship, are we truly in covenant with him? Our covenant is not sanctioned through the blood of Jesus just for the giving of our tithe and offering. It's ratified with the Father through the blood of his Son so that we can walk in covenant according to his commands, stipulations, and non-negotiable terms. It's so easy for Christians to follow the demands of others as to what they think is right and justified and never once ask the Father to his will. Because someone tells us their interpretation of the Bible, it doesn't mean that it's all that God is saying. Many have not entered into enough of an intimacy with the Father to be able to go to him for themselves, allowing him to enter into the bridal chambers so that we will no longer be virgin brides. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And I ask that you please join me next week as we further discuss the matter of remaining virgin brides to the king. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of This is the Voice of the Prophet. I ask that each of you would share this podcast with others and always remember that it's available for listening on every podcast server and app. I continue to ask you for your support through your prayers. You can contact me through my email at amieagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at charter.net and through the Facebook post or Facebook Messenger. Thank you again for your prayers and support, and may God bless each and every one of you.